I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. Hi, everyone. Oh, I am so lucky today. I'm all the way talking to someone in Paris, France. Tara Linney. Hi. Hi, Tara. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, I thought you were going to say it in, in French. <laughs> um, bonjour. Merci for... Nope, I don't know all those Oh, good. <laughs> I took French in school, and it, I wish I could speak. I just knew bonjour. I should have said that right mm-hmm. away. So, <laughs> oh, Tara, I, I've known you for some time, and I'm so glad you're here. So I'm going to just uh, tell everyone how amazing you are first. Is that okay? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> all right, here we go. Tara Lenny is a Google-certified teacher, a Google education trainer. She currently is working as an ed tech coach in Paris, France. And oh, I've all, what a place to be. I mean, isn't that <laughs> wonderful? I, we'll have to talk a little more about that and some of the other places you've been. Now, her biggest passion in education is teaching kids how to code. I think she, you have a book too, right? Yes, I do. Oh, we're going to talk about that. And you know coding. It's an important skill set. We need it. And Tara talks about why we need it. Because as we regress in the 21st century, we need those skills. Welcome, Tara. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So I, you know, the whole idea is trying to get to know you, tell people about you. And you have a very interesting background. (laughs) So I want you to share a little bit with my audience, uh, kind of where you're born, how, you know, a little bit about you growing up. All right. Um, so I am what they referred to as a military brat, specifically a Coast Guard brat, brat in a very endearing term because my father was in the Coast Guard. And so growing up, I was born in Connecticut, raised in North Carolina, California, New Jersey. I claim California with all my heart, though, even though I spent most of my years in North Carolina. And yeah, so growing up required a bit of moving around every two to four years. Yep. You were born in Connecticut? Yes. Okay. How long did you live there? Uh, Long enough not to remember it. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And you said California. You know, I'm in California. Where? Where in California? Uh, Well, my dad was stationed in San Diego. We lived in Spring Valley and I spent my fourth and fifth grade years in California. It was like just the best. I still have fond memories of it. Well, you you always tend to remember those years. Those are pretty special. Mm -hmm. So that is amazing. It must, so about every two or three years you were moving? Yep. On average, um, until my father retired and we ended up living in North Carolina for most of uh, middle school and high school. Wow. So where in North Carolina? A very small town. The town is too small. Nobody will recognize it. But if you know of the hundred counties in North Carolina, because there's a hundred and you're tested on it in sixth grade, um, it's Camden (laughs) County. 
<laughs> oh, I actually know where Camden County is. <laughs> you said one I know. It's so funny. Out of 100. That's pretty cool. So that must have been really interesting for you to travel. Were, were there any kids that, you know, I mean, it's hard for a child to kind of constantly making new friends. Did any move with you or... No, we never really moved together. Um, sometimes, though, because my dad kept getting um, stationed back in the same part of North Carolina, I would have friends that would be there when we moved back. So they were friends from like my like four, five, six, when I was four, five, six years old. And then they would still be there when I was 10. And one of the things about um, military just families is that you make friends no matter where you go. And you hold on to memories of those friends. And now with technology, you can actually like stay in touch with them, which is really cool. Oh, that so. So it must have been different going to different schools. But I know the military probably has a standardized curriculum. Is that? No. So tell <laughs> me what it's like going to being a student. So when you're when you're a military brat and you're stateside, you go to public schools. You don't go to a special school. The thing that is special sometimes is that um, they have military housing. And so a lot of my formative years were spent on military bases, like living on that housing that the uh, Coast Guard provided. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's interesting, going to different public schools. So what was like it for you being a student going from state to state? They're all so different. Yes, they are very, very different. Uh, What's funny is they were different then and they're still very different now. I remember really clearly when I was in fifth grade, um, I made it to the state level of a math competition and it was just incredible. Um, But I didn't get a high enough score to make it to the the larger competition. Anyhow, that being said, um, I was put in gifted and talented when I was in fifth grade. And then when we moved to North Carolina, they wanted to skip me from sixth grade to eighth grade. So wait a minute, (laughs) say that again. That's three grades. Say it again. You said they, yeah, I started uh, sixth grade in North Carolina. Uh And when I started there, they did their baseline testing. And from that, they wanted me to finish my sixth grade year and go directly into eighth grade bypassing seventh altogether. Whoa. Did you do that? No, because when you're that age and, you know, you're developing your personality and a lot of other things are going on. Like, for example, um, I have an older brother and he's two years older than me and he's autistic. And for most of my life, I've been, it's almost been like my brother's keeper type of thing. So anybody messes with him, they have to go through me. And it's just always been that way. I've always been his, protect- his protector. And he's always taught me how to play video games. So we've got a really good relationship. He was held back the same year that they wanted to skip me. So he had to repeat eighth grade. They wanted to put me in eighth grade. And something went on in my brain saying, if you go into eighth grade, you're not going to be able to be your own person because you're going to be his sister and his protector, and it's going to be about him, and you need to develop who you are. So I started doing bad on purpose and went with, yeah, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth. (laughs) Well, it is hard. I know people that have skipped grades, 
And emotion, you know, sometimes emotionally and developmentally, they're just not ready. Mm-hmm. They may be academically ready, but not ready for that. But the other way you said that with your brother, that is really an interesting relationship. Yeah. And how it impacted you. I, yeah. How are you today with your brother? Oh, we're, well, he calls me mom by mistake sometimes because I guess oh. I'm really bossy. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah and he always comes to me for like fixing his phone and his tablets and things like that so we've Mm -hmm. our rapport has kind of flipped in that I'm now showing him how to do things with tech oh that's cool I mean it is difficult you know for him probably but it's interesting to have you there Mm -hmm. so where is he located he's in North Carolina okay yeah so Oh, that's great. So you you were, um, I mean, I always hear stories about, you know, people who were multicultural kids. They were the ones that were uh, around going to international schools all over and how there were different cultures. But I never talked to anyone who was in the Coast Guard <laughs> stateside going to different public schools. I mean, every two or three years until until middle school and high school, those are the formative years. That must have been tough. Yeah, it was from time to time. Um, yeah. What was really nice was moving from North Carolina the second time um, to California because what happens is, so I'm biracial. My father's black and my mother's white. And so when I was a kid, it really came out in my hair. It came out in like, just it just came out, right? And um, what was nice and my skin color And so in North Carolina, I found that I was being judged a lot, like, oh, well, you're tanner than the rest of us because they're in that particular community. There weren't a lot of mixed kids or maybe any, huh? Anyhow. Um, and then I moved to California and it was like just being embraced because everybody kind of looks the same and everybody kind of talks the same. And you can say like, oh my goodness, like totally when you're in fourth grade and (laughs) fit in. (laughs) Oh yeah, and and it's different because they want to get tan, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I grew I grew up in Maryland and went to California, and and I'm redhead and I'm very pale and I could never <laughs> fit in because I just burnt. <laughs> so wow, what an interesting story! I had no idea. When did you start thinking about education or whatever career you did first? Well, I started thinking about education when I was five. Like I knew that I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. And so in high school, I figured, you know, the next step is college. And so my first, the first major that I started pursuing was elementary education. Oh, how cool. (laughs) So did you do that? Um, Well, I started. So I went to school in Greenville, North Carolina, and I was there on a scholarship for one year. I took maybe eight courses in elementary education and different requirements and whatnot. And there is this one course called um, Math for Teachers, and I kept correcting the professor. And the professor didn't really like that after the first couple of weeks. And so they had me, they had me take a test and whatever, um, we made a deal so that whatever I got on the test would be my grade. And then I wouldn't come to class anymore. Um, and so I took the test and got an A and stopped going to class. Huh. 
So um, because of that and a number of other factors, I was like, huh, I think I want like more like life experiences before I get into education. So I left North Carolina, uh, moved in with my grandma in Florida for a little while, stopped going to college for about a year and a half and um, started working in inventory and for marketing companies. And um, once I got residency in Florida, then I started going back to college. And this time I had time to think and explore and see different um, jobs and whatnot. And um, I went for a degree in public relations. (laughs) (laughs) And I got it. (laughs) Now, okay, so we have to talk about that. So... (laughs) You got a degree. So what did you do with that public relations job? So I interned. Well, my first thing was to intern for the city of Tampa Parks and Rec Department. And um, I was really like ready to accept a job there. But life happened to some people who worked for the department. And um, that made it so that I didn't get a job there. Um, Like there were no job openings. And so then I started working for a variety of marketing companies and um, did promotions for Starbucks back when the Frappuccino was for f- first premiered. We had a thing called the Venti Van. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those were fun, especially in the summer days in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and so I moved to Raleigh and headed up their campaign there and did a variety of things for Expedia, um, Geico, And then went from working there for a few months and um, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. (laughs) I like Raleigh. I I did some work there. So I just, the people are amazing. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So you moved. Mm -hmm. What did you do there? (laughs) Well, there I did more marketing um, for companies like GoGo InFlight Internet. And a lot of these were kind of like startup things. So either it was a new company or it was a company that was premiering some new product or tool. And um, I would lead teams to promote that product all around the city. So we taught people how to use BlackBerry Curve when it first came out at a John Mayer concert. Um, (laughs) That was very interesting. Um, I did a lot of green screen photography thing, like for um, Bass Pro's Santa's Wonderland when that first started. Yeah, I've done a lot in terms of uh, working with different marketing companies. You know, that is interesting because I really feel that if we have more experience before we go to college and we mm-hmm. tr- take on, I mean, that gave you a lot of different skills that you would never you know, received in education. Oh, definitely. Like I can sell deodorant to the cleanest person in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the skill that all of us need to know how to market ourselves and even brand ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you've probably learned a lot of skills that are helping you with your, where you are now. I'm, and I'm thinking anyway, because I don't have that. I didn't go to, uh, I didn't learn marketing. I, I trained myself on marketing, but right. it's really different when you actually have those skills and had to be out there in the real world, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, it's a very real place out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's different working for a company like that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you have things that are due at a certain time and you have to do it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a different world. So, Okay. So you became a teacher. So how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) So I've always had this like volunteer spirit. 
just, um, and you're probably like, how does that relate to teaching? I'll get there. Um, so from a very young age, I was part of Keep America Beautiful, um, doing like cleanups. Uh, when I was in middle school, um, on Saturdays, I would make bagged lunches for the homeless and go to the park and hand them out. In college, I did a lot of Relay for Life things and fundraising. And so when I got out of marketing, it was because I got a job at the American Cancer Society working for Gwinnett County, which hosts the world's largest Relay for Life event that brings in about $2 million every year. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I had lost my uncle to cancer um, about four years before I started working for the American Cancer Society. And um, I just remember having so much fun at the Relay for Life and just like this good feeling and you could see the impact that you're having. And it was just amazing. And then I started working for the nonprofit. And then everything kind of changed because it's, it's one thing to be a volunteer in a nonprofit it's another to work for one. It's like more about the fundraising and more about the money as it should be because it's got to be sustainable. Um, but I was finding that I wasn't getting that type of like intrinsic joy feeling from the work that I was doing. Like I would have rather still been a volunteer for the nonprofit than to work for the nonprofit. So that, <laughs> that changed your whole feeling about it wanting to be a teacher again. Yes. And so as I was leaving the American Cancer Society, I started um, working a couple of part-time jobs um, on the side. And one of them was to be a math tutor at Mathnasium. And this was also in Gwinnett County. And working there was just so great. I mean, I would work either one-on-one with students or with um, a group of up to six students who were anywhere from elementary all the way up to high school. And it would be anywhere from homework help to getting them like to improve their math skills in a number of different areas. And that was just so fulfilling. I mean, there's just something about those aha moments. And there's just something about just learning that like, brings people alive. That is, well, that's a good way to see if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Because now, now you've, you're realizing that feeling you had before and it wasn't involved with school. So you went back to school? Well, sort of. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like me. I did a lot of sort of. <laughs> so um, because of the different certifications um, that the states have, cause each state kind of has their own, but then there's a whole conglomerate, um, of states that have, that will accept certifications from other states. And in Georgia at the time, and I don't know if it's changed, their certification wasn't accepted in other states. It was just for the state of Georgia. So I was like, well, if I want to move at some point, if I'm not happy where I am, well, let me go somewhere where it's a new place I can get certified, I can get experience, and then if I'm not happy there, then I can go somewhere else. So they have the like interstate reciprocity. So I talked to some of my second cousins, and um, they knew some people. And within a matter of, oh goodness, from the start until I actually got there, I think it took maybe two months, I got a job on an emergency permit for the school district of Philadelphia. And I started teaching without any experience at all or certification or anything 
um, the week before spring break in the year of 2010. Oh, that must have been <laughs> interesting. <laughs> what, what grade did you teach? Um, so that was the interesting part. So the teacher that I was replacing was in teacher jail for, I still don't know exactly what, but he was the computer lab teacher. Uh, And when they brought me in, they had me as the K through six reading and seventh and eighth math prep teacher. Oh my gosh. That must've been (laughs) so scary. (laughs) I can't imagine (laughs) thrown into the wolves at the last minute. Oh yeah. That's an, I taught middle school. So that must've been really interesting for you. Oh, it was. Um, The whole first week will go down in the history of what I tell my children one day of breaking up a fight of two sixth grade boys as they're coming down the stairs and I'm yelling. Well, I thought I was yelling, but it was more of a high pitched scream. I'm like, stop fighting. Stop. (laughs) And and they just kind of looked at me like, who are you? And what is that sound? And then the principal calls me into her office a couple of hours later. And she was like, what was that sound that I heard in the hallway? I'm like, what, the boys fighting? She was like, no, there's something else. I was like, well, I was yelling at them. She was like, oh, honey, no. She pulls me into her office, closes the door, and says, I'm going to teach you how to yell. And it's all about bringing it from your gut so that when you want to say, boys, stop fighting, bring it from the gut. Boys, stop fighting right now. It has such a better impact than the high-pitched stuff to the point where I still use that to break up fights, even though they don't happen out here to this very day. (laughs) Oh, what an education you had. Oh, yes. Right on the job. That is so funny. Mm -hmm. So you actually started, you didn't start in computers. You started with reading and, I mean, there was some computer training. No? Um, No. So how did you get into ed tech? (laughs) Well, so I've always been interested in computers and in how they work. And then um, also in some of the marketing promotions that I did with like BlackBerry Curve and GoGo in-flight internet, that was all computers. Um, All of my stuff was on spreadsheets. Yeah. So it's always been either some part of my work or it's been like kind of a hobby, like half the time when I plan holidays and vacations and whatnot, there'll be like spreadsheets involved and checking things and stuff like that. So the computers didn't fully come in until, uh, well, I guess until I became a computer teacher. And that was in North Carolina two years during my uh, third year. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So did you start teaching or were you at, at, you know, you were an ed tech coach. So how did you kind of get into that? Yep. And so um, while all of this madness is going on, um, I was working on my master's degree and my um, teacher certification through Drexel University. And I did kind of a hybrid program that was primarily online because I was in Philly for the first year and a half. I would oftentimes like go to their campus, go to the library, take a couple of courses like in real time. But for the most part, everything was online. So I have a master's degree um, and I have a certification as an instructional technology specialist, K-12. And so through that coursework, 
you're learning about technology, you're learning about how to integrate it. Like you're just learning the whole gamut of things. Um, I was introduced to Twitter. So there was a lot going on. When I took the job in North Carolina, I was just certified. So I was being treated kind of as a first year teacher. A lot of the times when I would apply to places because I was only just then certified. So when I took the job in North Carolina, they put me in as a technology teacher with a computer lab. And I was like, wait, but I want to be a coach because that's the track that I'm on in my master's program. And I'm like, well, but, but why won't you have me in a, as a coach? Like that, it just makes sense. So they weren't ready for something like that. And so I left there after a year and moved up to DC to work at an all girls public charter school where I started off as a tech teacher. And then I wrote a 26 page proposal uh, with a tech plan for the school for moving forward and how technology should be integrated into education. And with that proposal came an acceptance, a role change. So I got two promotions over that summer and um, became the ed tech coordinator for the school. So you wrote your own job. Yeah. <laughs> that's. I want people to hear that because that's something that people don't know. They don't think, they wait till something comes to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like that too. <laughs> Some people don't understand people like us, but that's what the world needs now. You need to really be, have that entrepreneurial thinking out of the box thinking kind of person who says, wait a minute, you don't have this and you need it. And this is what I can do for you. Oh, yeah. you did it. You did it. <laughs> that is really. So how long did you work there? Um, so, well, then something else happened. So <laughs> <laughs> things happen. Um, so I was there for a total of two years. And, um, I started a girls coding club. We had started off as a blogging club and then we transformed into a girls coding club. And then I went to FETC and I met this guy whose name is Kevin Elgin and he was working for Tinker and he contacted me about, um, leading one of their summer programs in California that summer. And I was like, okay. And so I put all my stuff in storage because I didn't know what was going to happen next. Um, left my school in D.C. at the end of the year and drove cross-country to California over the course of about four days. Moved in with a family of women, Latin women, that I had met on Craigslist um, <laughs> in Daly City. And I stayed with them for two months paid rent and everything, had my little car, and um, drove back and forth between Daly City and then down um, to, uh, whatchamacallit, like the Mountain View area, and okay. did these coding camps like Monday through Friday. And now Daly City to Mountain View takes like two hours because of the traffic. <laughs> 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 yeah, you probably, that is amazing. Now that you live so close to Mountain View, I know you did something else. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the most, one of the most epic summers of my entire life. And at least to that point that it was definitely the most epic summer because what had happened was um, 
over the course of those first few years and working in education, I had applied for the Google Teacher Academy. And I had applied a total of six times, thinking each time, okay, this time is the time. This time is the time. Um, Most of those times were not the time. The time was um, for the Mountain View cohort of 2014. And so while I was out there, I figured like I would take the job with Tinker for the summer because my cohort was out there. It would be like one less trip, even though I had to fly back to the East Coast to Atlanta for ISTE. So I figured, why not? I mean, everything's out there. I like California a lot. Food is excellent. I definitely put on some weight. And um, why not? And so I did. (laughs) So 2014, that's when you had that Google training, which is great. Um, I'm a Google certified trainer too. So it's kind of fun to there's a whole bunch of us out there, right? Oh, yeah. All <laughs> around the world. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I met you at SD and, uh, you know, it's like we all become family. So you do mm-hmm. have people now all over the world who know you and love you and it's wonderful. So then you started, I, I don't know exactly when you started traveling, was it? Um, so traveling outside of the U.S. didn't start at all, except for that one time to the Canada side of Niagara Falls. Um, That didn't start until I moved to Singapore. So after I left Tinker, um, because I had the opportunity to work for them, and I was like, "Hmm, do I want to work for a startup? Do I want to get back into a school? I don't know. I'm still kind of new to this. Um, So I decided to go back the school route, and I took a job in Illinois, and I was there for a year. Uh, When I accepted the job, though, I didn't do my research. I really, really should have. And there were some district problems that were happening and union problems and things. And so I was like, hmm, well, I'm here for now. Um, And then on October 30th of what year was that? 2014, um, Jay Atwood, who is like huge into spreadsheets, super awesome guy. He tweets that the Singapore American School is hiring. And I remember favoriting the tweet, being like, all right, I'll come back to this after work one day. And I go back to it and I respond and I'm like, hey, when does your school year start? And he says, August. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And so my best friend is Sarah Thomas and I call her, I tell her about this opportunity. She's like, yeah, do it. I was like, all right, but I'm going to like vox you all of my responses to these questions that I'm composing while I'm having a glass of wine because I don't even know where Singapore is. (laughs) (laughs) so it was like a Friday night and I'm composing like all of my responses to all nine of the questions that they ask in the application process and I'm boxing each one to her and having a little sip here and there and um yeah hit submit and And kind of forgot about it and and you got it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I got it and luckily On one of the days in, I guess it was December, I was actually checking my spam for some reason, and the invite for the interview was in the spam. (laughs) And I'm like, whew, okay. (laughs) And, but it is wonderful. You, how long were you there in Singapore? The last three years. Last three, oh, wow. Yeah. So when did you, I'm going to, the only reason I want to get to your book, and I want to get to some of the things, (laughs) but- that must have been a really great experience. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you did coding in, uh, there? 
Yes. So I started the coding in DC, um, continued it with Tinker, continued it in Illinois. Um, there we actually got into more coding in the curriculum. We had started that, um, at my school in DC and then like really amplified that primarily in fourth and fifth grade, um, when I was in Illinois. And then in, um, Singapore, my first year, I started a, an elementary coding club and called it programming pioneer pioneers. And, um, I will never forget in it. I had 24 boys and one girl. I'm like, you know, let's do this like a social experiment because I can't change the numbers. Um, so I did that whole term and it was like, all right, never again, maybe not never, but at least not again. Um, and so I changed it. So from after that club onwards, it was girls coding club and it was for elementary girls aged, um, third grade to fifth grade. And it was just to give them an opportunity to build up that confidence in coding without having to compete with the boys or being told by the boys that they can't do it. They need to build up that confidence in themselves so that they can succeed like now and in the future. So, wow, that to me, that is so you're lucky they let you do that because I really mm-hmm. like the idea that because uh, girls always feel left out and. Is your book on coding and equity, is it mostly for girls or is it? So it's, it's a little bit both. Um, it's kind of 50, 50. So it's code equity. It's about keying girls into coding, but when you actually look at the chapters, um, it's more geared towards creating gender equitable learning environments. Oh, so that can be any, that can mean so many things. Yeah. Do you want to just share a little bit, maybe one big, piece that can get people excited. So they want your book. (laughs) Oh, totally. Remember you're going to market now. Use that marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the book is filled with, well, it starts off with like the history of the gender gap and coding and, um, where it came from, where it started. And, um, then it gets into the gender equitable teaching practices and some are simple things that you could do. And some are like whole makeovers of like what instruction could look like to make it more equitable. Um, and then it gets into coding in the curriculum. So where does it fit? And yeah, and it covers everything from integrating in with math, reading, writing, um, even foreign languages. So, oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> I, I just know a lot of schools, you know, they bring, it's a separate it's a, maybe they do some coding once a week, or maybe mm-hmm. that's just a separate thing that they do occasionally. But I think it's really nice. It's like another language they really need to know. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Oh, that is wonderful. I Well, we're going to put a link in it and, and so people know about your book. I, I know a lot of people would want it. it they, we just got to get it out there. <laughs> it's so cool. Now, one of the things that you said was, why start with the why? You had a, you and uh, Sarah Thomas had a uh, wonderful interview on that. Can you just kind of wrap up because, you know, so we can just kind of pull it all together, the why? So there should be purpose in everything that we do in life, especially in education. Whenever we're bringing some new content in or whenever we're teaching something, bringing that relevancy and that purpose Um, in all of the decisions that I've made as an adult and even like as a teenager, 
there was purpose. There was always a reason as to why I, I was or was not doing something. So making sure that that purpose is clear, not just for you who's experiencing something, but for everybody who's taking part. So when you're working with students saying, hey, we're going to learn about division today. Well, why? Who cares? Well, people should care about division because when we look at how land is divided with gerrymandering, what percentage of the people, right, get what percentage of the votes and things like that. And so bringing that relevancy, bringing that purpose is what education should be all about. Oh, we're going to talk a lot more later. (laughs) (laughs) We'll bring it now that we have you back because that is so just a wonderful way to pull this all together. You have had an amazing life. This is... (laughs) I'm so glad we, you know, it's got to share a little bit of your life and um, your story is amazing and you've traveled and now you're in Paris. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And you get to do your coding there too, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful there. So, oh, now I can come to Paris for a reason. My purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Just try not to come on Saturdays. That's when all the protests happen. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 22 weekends in a row now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's happening all over. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we're going to make sure that your journey, everybody follows your journey. And I've just had a wonderful time talking to you today. This has been wonderful, Tara. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. This has been great. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Tara Linney. Look for a complimentary blog post about Tara uh, where we're going to put resources and links for you. So please subscribe to the podcast and we'd love a review on iTunes. You can also tweet out the post with the hashtag Rethink underscore learning. And then subscribe to my website, barbarabray.net, and then you can receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.